Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. My name is Rich Schmidt. We're here with Marcus Glaze. It's August 22nd, 2022. We're at the Nicholson Library at Linfield University. Uh, Marcus, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, first question to get things started is why wine? Growing up in McMinnville and Dayton, I was uh, constantly surrounded by the industry, but without ever really recognizing it uh, until I kind of uh, started to move away and, you know, realized that I didn't want to work at a Dairy Queen any longer. <laughs> um, I, uh, out of high school, you know, kind of bopped around at some jobs that I hated, as you do at that age. Uh, and music was always really important for me. Um, and so I ended up kind of moving around, spending some time in Eugene, playing music with some folks. And then when I moved back, uh, to uh, up here to the valley, I realized that it was time for a change for me. And I had a cousin and an uncle who uh, worked at a winery doing some maintenance stuff. And I was aware that harvest was coming up and it was an opportunity to do some seasonal work, uh, make a little bit more money and just do something really different. Um, and so for me, my first step there was going to express temp agency. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew that that was gonna be an easy way to get a foot in the door maybe, just kind of start meeting some people and figuring out what it meant to try to get into the wine industry. Mm -hmm. um, at that point, I was, yeah, basically just looking for something more fun to do uh, than, you know, work at a, a restaurant or a mm -hmm. fast food chain or something. Um, and so with Express, I did uh, some bottling work um, and I was out where Northwest Wine Service and Storage used to be for a little bit. I did some bottling, um, uh, some sorting, excuse me, at Lemelson. And this was 2000 and harvest of 2007 uh, when I started doing that. Um, and I actually met Anthony King out there uh, for the first time and got to experience their uh, sorting line that they call the Enterprise out there, which is very cool and unique. Um, and so that was a real eye-opening experience because we got fed delicious food, we were treated extremely nicely, um, everybody was just uh, really great and accommodating and even just kind of as an express temp worker I felt really comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, I went and started working on a bottling line post-harvest at Owen Row when they were located where Lady Hill Winery is currently, across from Shampooy. And it was there that I met a few people, uh, Eric Brasher and Aaron Berlin, um, who really helped to pique my interest and helped me to get my first full-time position. Mm -hmm. um, so I had made it known that I really wanted to get into the industry. I was um, ambitious about it, even though I was 20 years old. I didn't know anything about wine or anything really. And so um, I just knew that it seemed like something really cool. Uh, and so <clears throat> after bottling, they kept me on a little bit later to do some other random things. And Aaron Berlin uh, helped them, uh, helped to convince them to buy out my contract from Express and hire me on full time uh, with no experience, which definitely was a big life-changing moment for me. <laughs> I was super grateful. Um, 
him and other staff members there were also really into music, and so I felt really supported in that, and they were great uh, in taking me under their wing and teaching me just kind of some basic stuff, you know, and it's where I got really familiar with the forklift and moving barrels around and all that good stuff. Um, and then, so 2008 was my first harvest. Um, so they hired me on officially at the beginning of the year in 2008, so I had some time to kind of get used to everything uh, before getting into my first harvest, which mm -hmm. I was nervous but excited for. Uh, it was a great harvest, it was a really good year. Um, it was a bit of an eye-opening experience for me, but it taught me a lot as far as work ethic goes as well. Um, being, <clears throat> excuse me, so close to these guys, feeling so close to them and feeling so grateful um, it really showed me that through Harvest, if you're just, you know, you got to get through it. We're all a team going through this thing together. And it was really incredible to be brought closer together with everyone there. And so also at that point, I met uh, Jesse Skiles, who uh, has his label Fossil Piste. And he was the chef for that Harvest. Uh, and he single-handedly uh, blew the lid wide open for me as far as food goes and good beer. Uh, I turned 21 in January of, of 2008, and so they were also, you know, family-style lunches, and we're drinking a couple of bottles of wine. Uh, they would do monthly tastings where everybody, uh, entire staff would come together and talk about it, and that was the beginning for me of falling in love with trying to smell and describe everything. I've always been very sensory-oriented, and so that really clicked into place for me of like, oh, this is exciting and terrifying at the same time, all of these you know, professionals, and I have no idea what I'm talking about, but it was a good start for me to be able to do that. Um, with everybody there and just kind of to help build my confidence and my uh, descriptors, you know, um, from there. And so that was really, after that experience, I knew that there was no going back, that that is what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up leaving Owen Rowe uh, in 2009 and then worked uh, at a, a no longer, a, a place that no longer exists, Parallel 45. It was a wine bar in Tualatin. Um, Steve Sweeney was the owner, and I got to work there uh, basically until he closed it down and sold everything out of there, um, which was a very interesting experience. Uh, I was doing like wine bartending, but also working in the kitchen, so I got to expand my culinary experience in a more of a real way outside of you know fast food cooking um, so that was incredible and also just getting to talk with you know the winemakers or the uh, people who are coming in to sell their wine for us to sell uh, that was great to be able to kind of see another side of things there and there I also met uh, Lee Brown from Lilati Wines uh, she's a good close friend of mine um, and has been since then. Um, I also met Andrew Rich there for the first time, uh, which is fun that I get to work next to him now out at the winemaker studio. Um, but that was kind of, uh, for me, I took a little bit of break from production side, got a little bit of you know the other side of it, and yeah, was kind of reaffirming, mm -hmm. okay, I need to figure out how to get back into it. Mm -hmm. And so in uh, 2012, after uh, Parallel 45 had closed down, I had a friend who was working for McMinimins, and I knew that I just needed a job, and he was able to get me a job really quickly. Uh, the Wilsonville property was fairly new at that time, um, and so I started working there in 2012, 
and working in the kitchen, and uh, we, my friend who worked there, we were in a band together at the time, so we started playing a lot of music there also, which was really cool. Um, and I was always aware that McMinimins had a winery and cidery, uh, but had never really like checked it out very much. Uh, but in uh, the harvest of 2012, Lee reached out to me and asked if I wanted to help with harvest uh, working at Et Fee when they were still at August Cellars. Um, and so I got to work with Howard and Jessica and Lee that year, which was also incredible, super small team, very focused. Um, Howard was amazing. They just thought it was awesome that I loved music and played music. And he was just really great at teaching me things that I didn't have a chance to learn so one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. before. <clears throat> so that was really wonderful and a very like, you know, felt like I was kind of a part of the family for that harvest, which was very wonderful. And at that time, I was working harvest uh, from very early in the morning until the evening, and then going in to close the kitchen at McMinimins, and then doing it all over again. And after that harvest, I realized that that was not possible <laughs> to do again. And so um, after that, I started looking into uh, the winery at McMinimins and was able to transfer over uh, for the harvest of 2013 and started there and made it very clear to them that I was determined to be a full-time worker there. Uh, they were excited that I had some uh, experience anyhow. Um, and it took a little bit after harvest, I ended up doing some distribution with them, uh, driving trucks, delivering beer, wine, and cider, and, and alcohol, um, until a full-time position opened up, which was in March of 2014. And at that point, I was super excited. I knew that's where I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, and that began my, what I think was like really a, uh, a bigger portion of learning the real ins and outs of everything. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of cider production happening just because of the faster turnaround of cider, obviously. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of the growth of their cider sales. And so the cider program really grew and grew at that point. Um, and I always thought it was interesting for how much wine they make out there at Edgefield and only selling it at McMinimins properties. Uh, that was always kind of amazing to me. But it was great at that point also to get to work with some fruit from the Lamb Valley as well as some uh, from the Columbia Valley and Columbia Gorge. Um, Yakima and Walla Walla, so it was really great to work with all these different varietals that I hadn't had experience with mm -hmm. before. So that was nice for me to kind of continue to extend, you know, the things that I was trying and tasting and figuring out what I like, my preferences, and uh, also just kind of learning different um, styles mm -hmm. of, I guess, of winemaking there. And uh, also, uh, making wine at Edgefield is very on display. Uh, the uh, downstairs cellar is kind of in the middle of the tasting room, so we're always moving in and out through people. It's all windows in the cellar, so everybody is watching you while they're drinking their wine. The press and tank pad are outside, and so during the summer when Edgefield has their concert series, uh, you know, there's 500 plus people who have been drinking and partying who are watching me uh, dump, you know, grapes into the hopper. Uh, so it's quite a crowd. Uh, you get used to that, or don't, but I got used to that pretty quickly. Um, 
And that was fun too because McMinimins has their passport program and so uh, pre-COVID every day at 3 p.m. Uh, someone would have to give a winery tour and I would always try to do that myself. It really gave me a chance to continue to practice my knowledge, um, uh, practice just kind of like a public speaking thing, but it helped to really retain mm -hmm. this information that I was learning every year there, which was uh, great. And I also you know, got a chance to promote my band any chance I got there, so <laughs> that was also helpful for me. Um, so yeah, I really learned a lot out there. Um, I also, someone who was important in my winemaking journey is uh, Nate Wall, uh, who's now the winemaker at Troon. Um, he was the assistant winemaker for a period of time there when I first started working there. And he was a great teacher and was always, you know, whenever I would show interest, he would continue to teach me and teach me how to do some lab stuff, which nobody was really doing in the cellar. Um, so I got to learn some other things that other people didn't necessarily have the interest mm -hmm. to. Uh, and so that was really great and an important relationship for me um, at that point. And I ended up uh, working there through the harvest of 2017 and decided at that point that I needed to um, take a little bit of a break to assess uh, whether or not you know this is something I wanted to move forward with in a bigger way or kind of what was I doing. Uh, I was playing a lot of music uh, with my current band, uh, Falcon Heart, and that was going great. And we had just released an album, and the harvest of 2017 was a, a little bit of a rough harvest. And so I just needed a break to catch my breath, I guess. And uh, so I uh, took a break in January, and then September came rolling around uh, and they had lost an intern and needed some help and I said okay well I could use some extra cash and so I went back to help them with the harvest and it was uh, as the winemaker Davis Palmer put it it was like getting the band back together <laughs> um, so 2018 was a great harvest there uh, we had a great time and I was lucky enough um, through a series of somewhat misfortunate events for them, I was lucky enough to get my full-time position back there. Um, and that was also when I decided uh, that I was gonna pursue winemaking more seriously and start the Schmeckado winemaking program, um, which I started after that harvest, so it was really like uh, the 2018-2019 fall school year. Um, and they were very supportive of that. Uh, and that was wonderful. And shortly after I started that program, um, they needed, they kind of created like a lab, lab tech position um, and offered that to me. And I took them up on it because that was definitely something that I needed to fill in the blanks about a little bit. Um, I had done a ton of cellar work and felt really comfortable there and on a forklift and with barrels and everything. And so um, it was nice to get to do that and work with the, uh, current assistant winemaker Raquel Chapel there, and she was great in helping to teach me um, proper lab etiquette, if you will, and uh, you know titration and just patience uh, and doing all these things. And that was wonderful because 
Working there and doing that and starting school, there was a lot of parallel things. So, you know, with the school program, we were doing things, the same things that we were doing at work. Uh, and so that was great to get to kind of practice it constantly um, and really fill in any of those gaps in the knowledge that I had there. And I also will say that Johnny Brosey uh, from the Schmeckata program was incredible. Um, He's a great teacher. Uh, his new label, Flora Jane, they just launched recently too. Um, and now I can say that he's a friend as well afterwards. And so uh, Schmeckata was an incredible experience uh, to be able to you know, go to school and work full time and take the two year program and kind of stretch it to three years for me was great uh, to get to network and meet all of the people, you know, the variety of people that were coming through that program mm -hmm. was very cool. Making some friends and some industry contacts, contacts through that as well um, has been super important. Um, and something that I, I kind of skipped over that was important for me at Edgefield is uh, the harvest of 2015 was when I met my current fiance, uh, Rachel Fishman, who's the assistant winemaker at Dobbs Family Estate. And that was uh, not to be overlooked because that was a pretty important year for me. Uh, we met and then she went to, she had just gotten, she just came to Oregon from working harvest in Australia and then went to New Zealand right after um, harvest of 2015 here. Uh, and then moved back to Portland and started working at Dobbs and has been there ever since. So they just started their summer bottling today. So she got up at about 3.30 this morning to get there really early. but. Uh, Finishing the Schmeckata program, I just got my uh, diploma in the mail about a week ago, and uh, it's very proud, but kind of a bittersweet thing because it was awesome to have, you know, this motivation to be constantly learning and working on something and working towards something, and it, I think, uh, has left me with this feeling of now that I don't have that always in the back of my mind, I would like to fill that with just continuing to uh, gain knowledge in places where you know I need to work on, um, which has been great. And uh, just as of just about a year ago, this earlier this month, um, I was contacted by Isabel Meunier to interview for her assistant winemaker's position. And I got to meet her, and how that kind of happened was, um, her husband, Andrew, with, with Radiant Sparkling Wines, has been helping Edgefield make their sparkling for a long time, uh, consulting, and he also helps uh, Schmeckata do theirs as well. And so I've known him, and coming full circle, Aaron Berlin works with him now, and so it was great to be reconnected with him after so many years, um, and then uh, about a year and a half ago or so, we were out there with class uh, with Schmeckata doing our disgorgement and I was talking to Aaron Berlin and he was just, you know, asking me what my goals were and, you know, I was telling them that I would like to kind of move up and at that point we were get just about ready to move back to McMinnville uh, from Portland and, you know, I told him that I was just really ready for a new challenge. Uh, and shortly after that, uh, Andrew had reached out to Johnny, who reached out to me to email him back, and then Isabel was who emailed me. So I was thinking maybe I was gonna work for Andrew, uh, and then was very excited and nervous when I got the message from Isabel. Um, and yeah, so had some interviews with her, and when 
I got the email that I got the job, I was on the bottling line, and that's probably about the best place to get a piece of really good news when you're, you know, just trying to chug through, getting through the day. Um, and so, yeah, that was, I had to take a little bit of a break after that and get a breath of fresh air and a breath of fresh air and uh, really be grateful and thankful for that opportunity. And uh, it's been an incredible year. Working out at the winemaker studio has been a dream. I couldn't have asked for a better place to be put. Uh, you know, getting reconnected with Anthony King, getting worked next to Andrew Rich and all the other incredible winemakers who are out there and just getting to see how a place like that operates and just the history of the building and the people who have started it and come through. Um, it's very exciting. It's, uh, I feel like I'm surrounded by opportunity and <clears throat> my main focus and goal right now is to absorb as much knowledge as I possibly can from Isabel. Um, and it's really cool um, when I tell people where I'm, you know, where my new job is or I talk to people in the industry and they ask, you know, where are you working? And I say, oh, I'm uh, Isabel's, uh, Isabel Meunier's assistant winemaker. And everybody's like, whoa, very cool. She's a rock star. Mm -hmm. You know, she's highly respected. And yeah, I'm very, very grateful to be working with someone as talented as her. Mm -hmm. It's quite a journey to get there. Indeed. <laughs> Yeah. I want to back up a little bit and talk about some of the sort of steps along the way there. Uh, you kind of talked about sort of gradually, sort of, sort of, sort of like your interest in winemaking sort of gradually. It took a while. It took a while for you to find it. Um, at, at what point or at what, what caused you to decide that it was something you really did want to pursue seriously? Was there a moment? Was there an event? Was there just, was there something that kind of pushed you in the direction of, of doing what you're now doing? I think uh, it's kind of, it was a combination of things. Um, really, it was after that harvest of 2017 where I needed to just reassess uh, what I was doing. It's been wonderful having, being with somebody who is also in the industry. Um, and Rachel has always been very supportive of my music and everything else. And, you know, when I, she's always also been, you know, uh, giving me a little bit of a push or a nudge. It's like, if this is what we're doing, like, you know, is, is school the right choice? Like, is another career? Like, what are we doing here? And I was already asking myself these things. And I'd been considering uh, uh, starting the Schmeckter program for a little while, but uh, kind of hemming and hawing a little bit about it. Oh, it seems like a lot of work, all that. Um, and really what it's been is, I couldn't imagine having a different job to where I get to do all the cool things that I get to do and have time to play music and create art and these things are also connected. Being able to play music at wineries and um, that's also very cool. It's like the crowd, you know, it's the people that I found in the industry. Um, it's a, a big family and <clears throat> the longer that I work in the industry here in Oregon, you know, the more and more connected that gets, the smaller the world gets. And it was hard to kind of see myself uh, leaving that and doing anything else. I love to get to work outside, to go to, you know, the vineyards. Uh, I love to do the wine dinner stuff. You know, it's, it's fun to get to share something that you worked so hard on uh, with people over a meal and get to hear what they think about it, sometimes for better or worse. Um, but, you know, all of these things and experiences kind of add up for me. Um, and it's just, 
it's fun, it's challenging, and I have been learning ever since I started working in, in the industry. And that's also really important to me is to feel challenged and to feel like, you know, I have come so far and I've learned so much and I still don't know anything. That's kind of how I feel. Mm -hmm. And so it's exciting to want to continue to learn more. So step aside from wine for a second, talk about music, obviously a big part of your life as well. So take us through a little bit of the kind of the music journey for you that's going parallel to all the wine journey. Um, tell us how you sort of got into it and some of the big kind of big moments along the way in the, in the, on the music side. Yeah, um, so I started playing guitar and trying to write songs when I was probably 13, 12 or 13 years old and was very determined to get a guitar. I started just playing friends' guitars in the beginning. Um, and then fast forward to being about 15 years old, uh, I was going to Dayton High School and I heard that, that McMinnville was holding a battle of the bands. And so this was probably 2002 or three. Um, and there was um, some people who were putting together a battle of the bands at the community center downtown in McMinnville. And that, well, I had heard a silly story on the intercom that a friend of mine had a band who was playing and got jealous and decided that I was starting a band that day. Um, and so we did and uh, went for it and played this and all of these bands of all these young kids came out of the woodwork and it was this kind of explosion of a sudden music scene in McMinnville that to my knowledge had never existed before um, <clears throat> and it was kind of rowdy and raucous and somehow we ended up uh, placing first in the initial competition uh, and then they held the follow-up of the top three bands in the movie theater at Third Street Pizza. And uh, if you go in there and you notice that the first couple of movie seats are gone from the ground, they've been unbolted, it was because of those strings of shows and the kids in there uh, getting rowdy and knocking them out. And we felt bad for the people who owned it, obviously, but we were also 16-year-old kids playing punk rock. And uh, that was really, you know, that kind of, I was like, oh, I'm just gonna start a band. And then what happened through all of that, that short period of time, uh, and there were people in town who were supporting that, like uh, from Vortex Records, they were a big supporter of that as well. And that was like, I always knew, I was always drawn to music, um, but that kind of cemented as like, okay, yeah, here we go. Just having all these things happen in a row, um, I pretty much never stopped writing or playing at or performing after that. The longest that I went without performing was just recently over COVID mm -hmm. um, since I was 15 or 16. And so <clears throat> through high school, you know, I was always the kid in the band. I had my guitar everywhere with me and we played at all the battle of the bands at school and all the things. And um, I graduated from McMinnville in 2005. and. After that, uh, moved to Newburgh for a little bit and met some people who I had mentioned earlier. We went down to Eugene, played music. Nothing of any consequence, really. This was just me kind of growing as a singer and a songwriter, um, playing some really dingy basement college party shows, you know, uh, stuff like that. Uh, and then uh, coming back uh, after, I, after I moved back from Eugene and really started working in the wine industry was when I first met um, Aaron DeRoso, who is my bandmate. He plays drums, sings and plays guitar in Falconheart. And we met from a Craigslist ad. They were looking for a singer. 
and I went over to his, his parents' house and sat on his bed and had to like audition for him in this very awkward way. Um, and you know, that was, yeah, 2009, I think, or 2000 and late 2008. And uh, you know, fast forward to now, I was the best man in his wedding and we just filmed uh, some live music video stuff yesterday all day in his garage and uh, we are, yeah, still best friends. Um, and so after we met then, that's when we started playing music seriously, a band uh, called Marco Luna at that time. And we played for a few years in Portland and after Marco Luna uh, broke up, that's when Aaron and I decided to start Falcon Heart. We had always kind of done some on the side acoustic stuff, uh, songs that didn't necessarily fit into the other band. Um, and then when they disbanded, we decided to get it together and really get after it. Mm -hmm. And we have an electric violin player, her name is Jean Masteller. Um, she was playing in another group at the time, but we asked her to do some recording with us and it went wonderful. And we ended up kind of forming a band around that. Um, and then in 2017, we released uh, Catch the Wind, which is our debut album. Um, you can find everything on Spotify and iTunes and all that stuff. And um, in 2018, we ended up taking a little bit of a hiatus. Aaron bought a house and had two beautiful little kids. Um, and uh, just about earlier this year, obviously the pandemic happened in between that, um, we started kind of getting after it again and we played a lot of shows this year. Um, we are playing this upcoming weekend, the 27th at Coelho Winery in Amity. And then after that, I've been helping to organize and we are playing on the third at the Walnut City Music Festival, uh, which will be out at the Evergreen uh, Space Aviation Museum, kind of behind there in the Oak Grove, bringing that back post-pandemic. So I'm very excited to be a part of that. I think that music for me as a young kid, without a lot of like support, um, you know, in school and everything, it gave me something to latch onto. It gave me something to look forward to. It gave me something to work towards mm -hmm. and aspire towards. Mm -hmm. And the support that I found through that um, really sustained me and I think really helped to push me in a positive direction in my life. Um, and that was such an important period for me that um, I feel like it's really important to try to keep music alive here and let kids know that this is a thing that you can do and it, you don't have to try to be this way or that way, just creating and you know performing or not, um, but just that there is support there and uh, it, it changed my life and if I could do that for one person, then that would be worth it. It's really cool, I, I appreciate that. Um, tell me about I'm curious about sort of being a musician and recording in this in this day and age. Uh, what was it like getting, uh, creating music and getting it out into the world in the in the era of streaming and the era of that? And then how do you deal with something like a pandemic when you have this urge to create and perform? Yeah. Um, well, things have changed quite rapidly with streaming, uh, and trying to do that, it's kind of everybody coming together and trying to figure out collectively how to do it. There's not really any right way, I would say. Um, it's not as like cut and dry as, you know, you get a record deal and, and go from there anymore. Um, technology has come to a point to where people are, you know, cutting albums in their garage and it's sounding great. Um, the thing about 
marketing and releasing is really hard because there's a million different ways that you can do it. Um, now people are starting to come back around to buying physical media, so like uh, records, vinyl records are coming back, CDs are dead, nobody even has a CD player anymore, it happened fast. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of it's about streaming and unfortunately, you know, streaming doesn't uh, properly compensate artists, but you kind of have to be on a streaming platform to be able to, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, unfortunately, so you just kind of try to do what you can to grow your community, and uh, consistency is key. And uh, obviously the pandemic really threw a wrench into a lot of that because for so long, nobody even knew what was really going on, like how scary or dangerous is this, and things were still happening, and then things were, nothing was happening, and then, kind of, you know, it was a very start and stop sort of deal. Um, and for us, uh, it was, you know, Aaron had just had a, one baby and then they got pregnant with their second baby. So, you know, they were kind of going through a lot of life changes. Um, I had started school and so I had that keeping me busy. And so it was really just trying to pivot to, well, let's continue to write. And that's not something that we ever really stopped doing anyway. Um, and maybe songs got a little darker at that period, but <laughs> you know. Um, but it was really just kind of like being okay with, at that point, it's like, okay, for where we are with the momentum that we had or didn't have, it was okay to like take a step back, mm -hmm. um, take a breath, and try to figure out how to go forward from that. It also allowed us to, um, when we released our first album and did our big release show and stuff, we did all this work, put a lot of work into it, and it was a lot of learning about a lot of things and a lot of worrying about a lot of things. And coming back to it, we've decided to not give as much energy into worrying about it. Um, and just trying to do what really makes us happy, which is creating art and doing it together as friends and, you know, mm -hmm singing together, the fuzzy feeling we get when we're all singing harmonies, it's like, of course we want to show that to people, but really what it is is, you know, it's a, a, on a different level, you know, of, of creating and making that magic. And mm -hmm. of course we all want to show it off because we're all exhibitionists, but <laughs> put it in front of people <laughs> as best we can. But now that that's been able to happen, you know, this year we've really kind of hit the ground running. Um, and we didn't have to start from ground zero, we had all this, you know, material and the rapport with each other. Um, and so it was nice to kind of get right back at it. And now we're kind of coming back around to harvest is quickly approaching. So um, they know I'm gonna need a break, but it's been good because we all kind of need a break. Um, and from here, just trying to plan out smartly, you know, what we want to do and what we want that to look like for ourselves. And mm -hmm. we know what we don't have to do. Um, so that's kind of a good place to be in for us. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about, you, you brought up a couple times, obviously uh, family growing and buying houses and uh, working harvests, and how do you balance uh, the energy and the time needed to do these two things, which are both, with both could consume all of your life if you wanted them to? It's a great question. Um, just over time and experience of having some times where that was out of balance, um, I think, like I said, you know, having a partner who is also in the industry, we both really understand where each other are coming from during harvest. Uh, all of my friends, I've been in the industry long enough now where they kind of know that that's a given. Uh, during the fall time, it's kind of break time. Um, and then afterwards, easing in through holidays and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but music is also one of those things where, you know, 
maybe the knee-jerk reaction is to, yeah, drop everything, let's go hit the road and all these things. And well, that's really hard to do. And unfortunately, the older you get, the tougher that gets. Um, you know, you want to, now that Aaron has a family and, you know, people have their jobs and careers and we want to, you know, music is extremely important to us, but I, you know, for me looking forward uh, into the future with us, it's I'm taking those things into very serious consideration mm -hmm. um, to try to find that balance. So only doing things that make sense for us to do. We don't want to just, it, as appealing as it is to you know get a van and sleep on people's floors and couch surf and you know maybe break even if we're lucky. Um, I know that you, that's not what we have to do. Mm -hmm. um, I know that it is possible to do it otherwise. And so finding a balance uh, has been tough, but. Um, my Google Calendar has been my best friend for the last few years and just really like good, open, honest communication between my partner and my bandmates mm -hmm. and work mm -hmm. as well. Um, that's super important, just getting out ahead of it and letting everybody know, you know, Isabel knows how important music is to me, um, but also my band knows how important this job is to mm -hmm. me. Um, and so, you know, me taking some extra time to go through school, and you know, now that I'm finished with that, have been getting finished with that, we've been excited and just playing, 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 um, which is good, but now you know, we kind of got out of, out of balance, now we're trying to kind of balance it back out again. So it's a constant, I wouldn't say struggle necessarily these days, but we're constantly working towards that balance. The maturing rock star. <laughs> sure. <yeah. laughs> so I want to uh, talk about uh, some of the kind of the biggest moments for you winemaking wise up until now. So let's talk about your time at Edgefield. Um, what were the were there were there benchmark moments for you, or were there kind of aha moments for you as you were working there? Uh, were, when did you sort of feel like you were? This, this was not just something you were doing, but this was, this was something that you were and, and wanted to keep doing. Was there, were there moments for you along the way like that? Definitely. Um, I had already mentioned how Nate Wall was really important uh, at that point for me because I was really just excited to have a you know, full-time position in the industry again and somewhere that was so interesting. Edgefield is definitely its own beast. Um, just with the property, it's gorgeous. Uh, obviously, it comes with challenges, like any place does. You know, making wine in the basement of a historic hotel has its challenges. Um, so, having somebody like him, who was always extremely passionate about winemaking and always trying to learn more and always like looking for somebody to kind of listen to him talk about it. Um, and he is a great teacher mm -hmm. uh, as well. And so there are a few moments like when we get to, we they do a uh, celebration of Syrah uh, th event. And so a lot of people bring their Syrahs and you know other Rhone varietals and they come in and do a pouring and a tasting and it was always at an event like that he would just light up and was like really excited to share knowledge about a region or you know if I was pouring something from somewhere and so that's where kind of my curiosity about uh, like wines from other areas was peaked, starting to peak at that point. Um, I, I talked about him showing me some lab stuff and getting to even doing something which now I feel is as simple as a titration. You know, it kind of looks like a mad scientist setup when you're in there. And at Edgefield, people are just walking through all the time. And so customers are like, what is happening in there? And also giving the tours, uh, you know, the more that I would do that and the more comfortable 
that I got with my knowledge uh, and talking about it, I would often get like, oh, where did you go to school? What have you, oh, you're so knowledgeable. And that's a great feeling to hear that, you know? And after a while, you know, it was kind of like, it helped to develop, like, I really do want to go to school. And knowing uh, people who have been through the Schmeckata program and having such great things to say about it, that was an uh, important factor in helping me um, kind of make that decision. Mm -hmm. So those were pretty important um, points for me. And then, <clears throat> you know, taking that break and just realizing how much I missed it. And, you know, that was kind of like a... Okay, mm -hmm. this, I guess this is it, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was exciting because it wasn't like a, well, I guess this is it. It was like a, okay, this is it. Let's, I'm ready, let's do it, so. You talked earlier about the, the sort of the parallel timeline when you were doing classwork and also doing it in real life as well and how kind of momentous that was for you to be doing both things at the same time. Uh, what were you developing that, at that point in terms of sort of skill set, in terms of knowledge, uh, that have, have, as it came out the other side, what did you take away? What were the biggest takeaways from that time? Yeah, um, I think really, at first definitely, uh, working in the lab um, and doing all things lab, not just kind of, you know, running some free SO2s here and there, but getting to um, work with some other technologies that I hadn't before. And that was cool because it, it started to give me kind of a, like a micro, uh, a better grasp on the micro, and then also going through school and coming out on the other side, giving a macro. So kind of getting that big picture overall. It's easy to just get caught up into the day, day in, day out. It's like, oh, we gotta rack 40 barrels, that's a pain. You know, all these things. But then uh, realizing how it all comes together, you know, just really gaining that big picture um, and understanding it more fully, that was when that started to happen for me, um, working in the lab and going to school. And then afterwards, now, after a year of working with Isabel, I feel like I have like such a greater grasp on things as a whole uh, than I did before. And I think that mostly was because I was able to kind of step back and see everything and kind of understand, you know, all the important little things and how they add up to mm -hmm. something big. So you've worked with a lot of different people, a lot of different styles, a lot of different philosophies. So I'm curious about developing your own sort of style philosophy uh, as you have gone through and you come looking at yourself now what kind of preferences have you sort of come up with in terms of wine style wine making style um, and as you go forward uh, what are you kind of hoping to do with that yeah um, well I think working out at Edgefield was a great uh, like I said helped me to expand my um, varietal knowledge, I guess, working with other things and doing some blending and, um, you know, kind of big red blends, but then also they do a lot of white. I developed my appreciation and love for Riesling out there. Um, they have a great Riesling program and have, that's been a focus for them ever since they started making wine out there. Um, and then, you know, now coming to work with Isabel, going from working with like 20 plus varietals to working with two uh, has been great and I'm very excited to continue to focus and also you know she's got a, a different philosophy of winemaking than um, they had out at Edgefield and it's just I think a lot of it is you know her experience and also the fruit that she's working with um, and just the style that she is going for and that's something that I really am trying to take in. Mm -hmm. um, I really 
love the idea of you know make, trying, making a bottle of wine to age, to last, and making something that's really expressive of place and time. Um, that is really exciting for me, and also my love and appreciation for Chardonnay has shot through the roof since working uh, with her. Um, I just it hadn't it hadn't had the attention, the same attention paid to it as before. Um, for me, and so that's been really wonderful. And just the amount of respect that she has um, within the industry and uh, that people have for her is really admirable. And you know, I would like to be respected in the industry as well someday. And for me, I would I would love to you know continue to learn about her style of winemaking and adopt a lot of that, mm -hmm. um, but also, you know, wanting to make something that is really, like, approachable and available. Not that um, the Lavinia wines or any of the client wines we make are not, um, but just they maybe at first might be a little intimidating to, like, an average, mm -hmm. you know, wine drinker, um, maybe someone from out of state or something like that. <clears throat> so I, I definitely... I think, you know, down the line, definitely no current plans for anything, but it's always a constant conversation and a, a joke with Rachel's family of, oh, when are you guys going to open your winery or start your label? And we're always like, when are you going to loan us the money? That'd be great. <laughs> um, but, you know, and it was more of a joke in the past. And now that I'm working out the studio, realizing that, oh, that's actually more and more of a possibility in the future. And so I think that before we go and do something like that, um, I just really want to make sure that I have a plan and I feel comfortable in my knowledge base of like the style that I want to do. Because, mm -hmm. you know, kind of how I'm, I'm working on a song and I want it to be awesome for, for when I show it, I want everybody to love it, but not everybody's gonna love it. And that's just kind of a part of the process like that I have to go through. Um, and so, you know, maybe I'll have a song that's a little more downbeat and I'll have one that's a little more upbeat and maybe this one's a little more bluesy and this one's a little bit more loud or something, you know? And I kind of would like to maybe uh, approach winemaking like that too. A little bit of variety, but focused enough to where it doesn't get kind of lost in the sauce, if you will. You mentioned, obviously, clients, and kind of a new part of your work as well, working with Isabel, not just Lavinia, but other people as well. So tell me about that experience for you. What's it been like working with uh, the clients you have, and how are you sort of finding flexibility to make them all happy as well? Yeah. Um it's been nothing but wonderful, really. Um, I've gotten the absolute pleasure of getting to know Andy Lytle, uh, who's got Lytle Barnett uh, Sparkling Wine, which is incredible. Um, and we work with his um, fruit from At The Joy. Uh, Aubain is the label and making Pinot Noir and Chardonnay for him out there. And the Chardonnay, the fruit is incredible. The property is gorgeous. And he is just like such a bright joy of a human being uh, to get to know. So he's wonderful. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we have some new clients who I've been able to meet. Uh, the Nicholas family, they just bought the, um, it was the Bella Vida Vineyard and uh, in the Dundee Hills. They are also extremely nice people. I haven't got to spend a lot of time with them. Uh, with a little bit that I have, it's nice to go through and do some barrel tasting and hear them talk about 
you know, just like how excited they are about their new labels that they just got approved and all these plans that they have and just getting to see them go through all of that and all the questions that they have for Isabel um, and just getting to see that process of her help to walk them through everything um, and working on that, working with them on their decisions that they're making and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, that's been really great so far. And it's nice to, uh, you know, everybody's kind of got a slightly different take. We're all making, we're making Pinot and Chard for everybody, but maybe, you know, just really the difference in the fruit and where it's coming from is really cool to be able to focus in on clones that we're working with um, and finding the difference between that and as well as the terroir of where the grapes are grown. And um, so that's been really wonderful so far and exciting. And it's nice to <clears throat> be, you know, some of these details that may seem like mundane or whatever, I, I personally love it that Isabel tells me about all these things and lets me know. It's like, okay, here's what I'm doing. Here's what we're ordering. These are, this is the whole process because that's what I'm trying to get from her as well, you know, is every little bit of it all the way through and, uh, you know, maybe making some client wines in the future. Mm -hmm. um, I could see myself doing something like that. I'm curious about sort of the the growth in confidence for you. Uh, at what point do you did you feel like you were ready to take the step, like working with Isabel? What point did you feel like you were a winemaker? Probably not until I started working with Isabel. <laughs> to be honest, I you know I felt that and have wanted to feel that, and it you know I spent a lot of time at Edgefield and I did a lot of growing at Edgefield, and I am forever grateful and just everything that they provided for me there as far as support um, and just being able to learn, <clears throat> and also you know given some freedom as well. Um, and it's just a very different type of operation, you know, but I was ready to move on, ready to do something different um, in a different place. And we had moved to, back to McMinnville. Uh, the drive from Troutdale to McMinnville is not a fun one during the week. Um, so, you know, if you work a little bit later, you're getting home at like eight or nine o'clock and that's a bummer. Mm -hmm. um, so by the time that I got con uh, the time that I was contacted about working with Isabel, um, I was already you know ready for a change. And then when that happened, it was like, okay, it, the feeling was, here it is. This is the opportunity. This is the chance. And you know, a little bit of imposter syndrome uh, kicked in of like, oh well, this is because you know this person and this person. And then you know, the rest of my mind was like, no, you've worked for this. You've earned it you know, now it's time to show up and prove it to her and yourself. And so that was really, that moment after I got that confirmed email, you know, I, had to, I took a little walk into the vineyard and took some deep breaths and like, was like, yes, I'm ready. This is, this is now. And we talked a little bit about uh, 2020 earlier on the music side of things. I'm curious about it on the wine side. What were your experiences like uh, both with COVID and with the, the, the harvest of 2020. Uh, what kind of decisions and challenges were there for you and how did you come out the other side? 2020 was a harvest I will never forget. Uh, yeah, it, during, let's see, it was March 17th, 2020, uh, I was one of a couple of winery workers who was there for the day. And that day, McMinimins laid off 3,000 people. Uh, and I was one of them. Uh, so for the next month and a half or so, I was off. Um, I was doing school, Rachel was still working. 
<clears throat> excuse me, full-time, um, but I was, you know, doing a bit of, like, doing some math homework, but some doom scrolling and, like, spending a lot of time with my cat trying to relax <laughs> and um, kind of just, it, you know, taking a break from everything, and then I was like, okay, well, I have a chance, let's write some music. Uh, and then I got the call to come back uh, to start working, which I was grateful for because I was kind of going crazy um, in my apartment at the time. And going back to work at that point looked like bottling hand sanitizer that the distillery was making and doing random things that you know, we never got a chance to do, working with the pickup uh, for the tasting room and, you know, basically doing homework in the pool hall there at Edgefield and waiting for somebody to come pick up their wine. Um, you know, fully masked up, and then as harvest came, so did the fires and smoke, and Edgefield was really bad. Um, and so, you know, wearing like a full face mask and trying to get through it to do some work, uh, it was tough. Uh, everybody was the head winemaker and assistant winemaker. They worked all the way through, and so there was a good month and a half where it was pretty much just them. Um, I would imagine that would have been even harder than just being off, uh, because essentially production had halted. You know, there was still topping and things going on that needed to, but cider production and anything else movement-wise was kind of halted. Um, and then, yeah, the harvest of 2020 was challenging. It was trying to figure out how to keep, you know, everybody keep distance and keep healthy and staying safe um, and then doing our job at the same time. Uh, so, yeah, it was kind of a lot of team meetings and figuring out, like, is everybody comfortable? Are we good? Everybody safe? You know, what can we be doing differently? You know, a lot of wiping down of surfaces and doors and <laughs> sanitizing. Um, so it was a real challenge, but I think that afterwards, you know, it was kind of like a, wow, we really did that. We made it happen. Um, it was a continuing challenge dealing with the smoke taint after that and everybody in the industry kind of trying to come together and figure out what we're doing, what can we do. Um, you know, what can we learn from this and how to prevent or, you know, all those things. Mm -hmm. And so that was really interesting in seeing everybody trying to figure it out collectively. Uh, but it was also kind of inspiring because I feel like it was, it really brought the industry together. There's a lot of knowledge sharing and it felt really like a big community and it was really cool to watch. Mm -hmm. So speaking of that, let's talk about the industry a little bit more on a, on a, on a bird's eye view here. Uh, going back to your start in the industry, what were your initial impressions as you started to, started to see the industry, started to see the wines, and started to meet the people in it? Yeah, um, I don't know. If I hadn't have started at Owen Rowe with those people in that time, I'm not sure um, if I would be in the industry still. Like, maybe I would. Uh, because I'm so surrounded by it now anyway, it's hard to see outside <laughs> of that. Uh, but in that moment in time, I was searching for something more out of my life and trying to kind of continue to just grow up and mature and be my own adult. And <clears throat> the, like I said, you know, I pretty much just had my mind blown working there. Uh, you know, the guys were really fun and cool and super nice in sharing, you know, any question that I had, there was no such thing as a stupid question. Um, and so just building that little bit of confidence right away um, and then, you know, all the things, the, the family style lunches and dinners 
and you know the willingness to share and get me to try these different wines and food and everything you know it really for me I was like it was like oh this is a part of the culture of this industry and I don't want that to go away <laughs> so you know hadn't really grown up eating uh, fancy stuff like that and uh, I don't even know if I had an olive with a pit in it until <laughs> that point in time and so you know it was the little things like that that made a really big impact on me mm -hmm. um, and yeah I was like I want more of this how do I do this if I can you know be involved in dinners and do these things and where I'm not having to be behind the scenes in the kitchen cooking or something like that I could really be a part of it and obviously I'm a pretty social person and so I get energy from that and you know so that was really just showing me what was possible um, working there and I am forever grateful for that moment in time. So from that moment how have your impressions of the industry changed or how have you seen the industry change? Yeah, um, I mean, I think that my impression of the industry has always been <clears throat> kind of, I've kind of just been in awe of it, and a lot of it, there was like a mystery surrounding it for a long time for me, uh, and then getting a little bit closer, and working, another thing about working at Edgefield is you feel kind of removed from the industry. You know, one of my favorite things to do was to go to the wine symposium, because um, we would really get to see people and network and learn, and it was very exciting, and that was like, oh, that's right, I am a part of this. Um, you know, and we would do events and stuff out there, but it's just, you know, fairly isolated as far as that goes. And uh, so that was kind of tough for me. And now I couldn't be more excited to be, because it's just such a, an inclusive industry. Um, you know, sometimes people would think that, oh, maybe there's, people are secretive or proprietary secrets and all these things. but. From what I have seen, it's really not like that. Everybody is very willing to share knowledge and, you know, continue to grow or taste or hear your opinion and good or bad, you know, to try to work through that and grow through that. And so, yeah, I've always had a fairly good impression of the industry, and I think it's just uh, becoming a little more shiny to me now too. Just like being so much closer to the heart of it, I feel. Um, and yeah, it's really exciting. And I think that it's just continuing to grow and I wanna see it continue to grow. Um, something that's really important for me is, you know, this is an industry that where, depending on where you work, you know, sometimes burnout happens and I've seen it happen a lot. And I feel like one of my personal missions for being in the industry is to help people who I think are assets to the industry and just cool people to stick around. You know, there's opportunity out there, you know, if some places are hard to work and you know, if you're not wanting to do like a really big production, there's plenty of small production places or the other way around, mm -hmm. of course. And um, you know, maybe sometimes it's the grass is always greener, but you know, I really just, a mission of mine is to try to keep people in the industry because um, <clears throat> I think that, you know, there's younger people coming in every year and it's just continuing to grow and get more exciting. People are doing, you know, really interesting things and uh, I just want to continue to see that happen. To me, it's, it's an art form as well, you know? It's so subjective and you like what you like and that's okay. And, you know, there, it can be pretentious or snooty or not at all, 
you know, and so it's a, a spectrum and it's fun to be able to kind of, you know, play within that whole spectrum and mm -hmm. continue to watch that widen. So as you look ahead for the industry then, you mentioned lots of young people, lots of exciting projects, lots of growth. What do you see the industry looking like in the, in the years to come? That's a great question. Um, I, I'm not really sure. I, I see, you know, more vineyards going in. I see, you know, more big money trying to come in from outside of Oregon, uh, which we're already seeing for better or worse. Um, I, for one, am into it as long as we're continuing to like hold on to the integrity of the uh, industry. Um, and I think that there's enough people who also believe that, that that's not gonna be a problem. Mm -hmm. um, it's just uh, exciting, yeah, to see, and like a lot of people who I met at Schmeckada, like doing my, um, like my final project, my senior project, and all these ideas that these people have. It's, it's great, and I'm really excited to see them working out there and you know continuing to grow. Uh, McMinnville alone is such a different McMinnville than it was when I left after high school, and in a good way. And I think you know the industry, the wine industry, has a lot to do with that, mm -hmm. uh, bringing more money and more kind of youthfulness. And I know maybe there's some pushback uh, from some agricultural, uh, you know, but I think that that's just gonna happen. I think that um, it can continue to grow and evolve uh, while not losing any of that integrity, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned you mentioned your own kind of future in the industry, a couple parts of it. So tell me, uh, look ahead for yourself, what are some sort of goals or ambitions you have for your own future and what do you sort of see happening next? Yeah, um, for now and for, you know, at least the next couple of years, my main goal is to just absorb anything and everything that I can of uh, Isabel's knowledge of winemaking and just kind of the industry as a whole. Um, travel, I want to uh, use winemaking as an opportunity to travel more, see more of the world. Um, I can see myself doing something on a little bit of a smaller scale, um, I guess compared to what Edgefield was doing, compared to what we we're making with Isabel. Uh, we're like the largest producers out at the studio, but I think it's a good enough level to where, you know, we're making a good amount of wine, but it's also fun to be working with some clients, to mm -hmm. have an opportunity to make some different things, work with some different fruit. Um, I can definitely see myself doing that in the future. Um, I am the type of person, you know, like. I would love to have my own label someday. Uh, that's not necessarily something I have on the books right now <clears throat> or any immediate plans for, uh, but if the opportunity arises, which I'm sure it will at some point, or I will feel like, okay, I'm ready, um, that's something I could definitely see myself doing, um, some collaboration with Rachel, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, potentially you know, taking over some clients at some point in time, or um, Honestly, working out here, like I said, I feel like I'm surrounded with all this opportunity. Um, I, I never know what's gonna happen, you know? There could be something that I can't foresee right now that could present itself to me in a few years, and uh, we'll just have to kind of see where it goes from there. All right, that's all the questions that I have for you. Right. Uh, anything I didn't ask that I should have, anything we didn't cover that you'd like to cover today? I don't think so. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much for your time, for sharing your stories with us. We'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.